Welcome to Tilt, Thoughts in Leadership and Technology. I'm your host, Stephen O'Connor, and today we're going to talk about understanding your landscape. Things I'm going to talk about today. Capability survey, the tech radar, team health checks, skip levels. Okay, so let's dig a little bit further into each of these because I believe, you know, you really need to understand what's around you, what's happening um, within the company, what's happening with the teams right at a relationship level, uh, how the teams are performing, how they feel they are performing, how well they think they are communicating, collaborating with each other and right across the company, and then start digging into the tech. You really need to motivate people intrinsically. You know, what I mean by that is you can't come to people and, and tell them this is what you're going to do. You need to invite them into that conversation and, and have a little dance with them. Like you need to understand where they're coming from, what their reservations are. And you really need to plant seeds in each of those people to, to really get them motivated and bring them on the journey with you. It's not a solo run to say, hey, just go away, introduce this and everything will work fine. That's not how it works. That's not a generative culture that's more bureaucratic. You want to get towards the generative culture where people are speaking up, people are speaking their minds, and there's good, healthy conflict, there's good candor within the company, and you really build that culture of getting feedback because it's the only way, I believe, that you can move forward within a company and really build great products with great people and a great culture. Capability surveys all come from the book Accelerate. Accelerate is a really, really good book. I'd highly recommend it for, her, for anybody looking to really improve and, and really bring you know, a generative culture and high-performing teams. It's a scientific look at really scaling high-performing technology organizations. Um, highly recommend it. Grab yourself a copy. And um, what I'm going to focus on right now is, is the capability survey. So this is something that you can do today. You can send around a survey to your organization and really understand what the teams feel, where the teams feel they're at, and you know, identify areas of waste and identify areas of improvement. So uh, the research in Accelerate, they've uncovered 24 capabilities. And um, within that, you know, the top level is, is more five categories. Those five categories split across continuous delivery, architecture, product and process, lean management and monitoring, and cultural. So if we dig a little bit further and I'm briefly going to run through each of these, so continuous delivery capability, you know, use version control for all your production artifacts, automate your deployment process, you know, implement continuous integration, use trunk-based development methods, implement test automation, support test, test data management, shift left on security, implement continuous delivery. Um, yeah, so... A lot of that, I'm sure, can resonate with you, but really understand how the teams are using your CI/CD methods. You know, what does your pipeline look like? You know, where are the teams really? Um, where where are the teams hitting roadblocks and, and things like that? And and the survey based around this can can really really help. Um, I'll share a few key resources to really get you up and running as well. Um, the state of DevOps that Google runs is a really good survey as well. And you can have a look at those survey results. And again, it, it all kind of comes from very, very similar uh, capabilities that they're trying to identify and, and really get some data on it, right? You can't move forward without the data. So another one of the, the key categories is the architecture capability, you know, uh, use loosely coupled architecture, microservices or serverless, or, you know, depending on what your use case is, and uh, architect for empowered teams. So, you know, it's really make sure the teams can choose what tools they want to use. Uh, in my own experience, a lot of in-house tools and libraries are built and they're just maintenance overheads. Um, it's really trying to figure out what the best tool is to really enable this team for deployment. Um, how can they deploy quicker? How can they be empowered? And, uh, you know, you look at products like Spinnaker and the amount of deployment control that you have and that you can give that autonomy to each team and you can set out, you know, context-based rules because it is really about leading with context and allowing the teams to 
really stretch the boundaries of those contexts in any way, shape or form. Um, and this is one of them. This is one of those areas where you kind of say, okay, let's take an off the shelf product because we, you know, we can really push the boundaries of our own CICD pipeline by taking an off the shelf product, implemented it into our infrastructure and giving the teams the autonomy to deliver where they want, when they want and how they want to do it. So it's no longer, you know, blue green. It could be canary deploys. It can be canary within uh, specific subsets of your infrastructure. You know, it can be, you know, 10% of traffic. It can be 10% of traffic at midnight between, you know, midnight and 6 a.m. So maybe you're not affecting your primary target traffic. But um, yeah, so another key capability is around the product and process capability, you know, uh, gather and implement customer feedback, make the flow of work visible through your value stream, work in small batches, foster and enable team experimentation. Um, and that's really important. You know, ask yourself, what experiments have you run recently? What experiments have you run recently that have failed? What have you learned from that? And it's about experimenting more often because oftentimes, you know, there can be product solutions that maybe you're trying to solve the wrong problem. Uh, it's really much better to experiment in any way you can. You know, Marty Kagan talks a lot about experimentation and how to do it, um, ways in which you can do it at a, a very, very short cycle. So you can release hyper-realistic prototypes. You can release, you know, A-B tests quite quickly. You can release even a simple button on a UI somewhere. If customers click it, that's your data point. The button does nothing. You can tell a user it's coming soon in a pop-up or something, but what you're actually doing is gathering data right there and then, uh, really informative data. Can you imagine if you're building a product that lives behind a button and you know the teams are saying, this is gonna take four to five months and you release it and nobody clicks on the button. So now what happens? Why did this not work? And you know, th those are all these questions that really could have been answered if you just released the button in the first place. Maybe we're looking in the wrong area. And you can find that out, you know, within one week instead of waiting four to five months. So it really is about, you know, hypotheses. Hypotheses is there to be proven wrong. So try and prove it wrong. That's that's the job, right? The job is we have a theory. The team has come up with a theory. Uh, we have an idea of how we're going to get towards, you know, working towards this problem or, you know, problems can be set out in OKRs and things like that. So how do you work towards this problem? How do we start testing things out and making sure everybody on the team has a voice in terms of experimentation and uh, think like a scientist. So, you know, you want to try and be proven wrong. You should be celebrating when you're proven wrong because now you've learned something. You haven't spent months building it. You've, you've spent maybe a couple of days. And can you imagine the cost of time and money that that has taken to learn that rather than, you know, what we see today in a lot of organizations, which is to build something for four to five months and now realize, hey, maybe we built the wrong team, or you know, we're not, we didn't really look at this from a, a customer perspective in, in the way in their current situation. But um, yeah, so and going back to the capability survey, you know, another one is lean management and monitoring capabilities. Have a lightweight change approval process. Uh, monitor applications and infrastructure to inform business decisions. Uh, check system health proactively. Improve processes and manage work with WIP limits. Visualize work to monitor quality and communication throughout the team. Um, yeah, there's, I suppose, a little bit of flat management pushing decisions to outrages of your organization, you know, really dispersed decision making. Um, just Netflix, No Rules Rules, a really, really good book as well. I highly recommend it. And uh, something that we're, we'll probably touch on talking in, in the near future. But, um, Netflix No Rules Rules really focuses in on this in terms of lean management, uh, having everybody act in the best interest of the company. You know, don't seek to please the boss, things like that. It's, it just embodies trust and empowerment throughout the whole organization, but with it becomes, you know, comes great responsibility and accountability. Um, but that's really, really good. You, you really want people to be empowered. You really want them to have the autonomy. And it's also really important to make sure that they, are accountable for anything that happens there as well. So, you know, it's it's about learning from failures. It's about, it's about people, you know, taking risks and not putting up roadblocks to go through this, you know, change management process or 
you know, putting in more and more policies to make sure that people do things right. You know, uh, the more you do that, the, the more you're stifling innovation. It really is about breaking those boundaries, take down the roadblocks, have everyone act in the best of the company's interest. Um, so going back to the survey, cultural capabilities. So support the generative culture, um, encourage and support learning, support and facilitate collaboration among teams, provide resources and tools that make work meaningful, uh, support and embody transformational leadership. So again, a little bit about what I was talking earlier in terms of the no rules, rules, Netflix approach, um, and also, you know, that autonomy that we talk about. So whether it's uh, a product, a process, a tool, a, a tech library, whatever it is, you know, it really is for each of you as leaders to to focus on autonomy and then given that autonomy, you don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. You, you want them to tell us what to do. And that, that really is the, the key to it. You know, it's, it's one of the hardest things I find sometimes in, in a meeting is to stay quiet. But when you stay quiet and listen, actively listen, then you can respond, you know, more informed. You can see, you can understand, you know, you can be empathetic. You can understand where this other person is coming from and really feel what they feel, whether it's frustration or joy or whatever feeling that they have, understand it, respond with the same feeling. And sometimes you might want to agree with them. Sometimes, you, you know, find areas of agreement. Uh, obviously, a lot of the time it's conflict, but it's healthy conflict. You want to move forward in the right direction together and you want to make sure you encourage collaboration um, and really communicate effectively with each other. So, yeah, all this, I know I, I went off on a little tangent, but, you know, again, it's all about the capability survey, understanding your landscape, uh, and that's what we're focused on here to do. I think a lot of people would maybe be surprised by some of the survey results, and um, it can be difficult, you know, to, to gather that information, but it really is raw data. Uh, what you do with that data is can help you towards moving in the right strategic direction, mapping out your landscape, understanding it, and moving forward in that right direction. Tech Radar is something that ThoughtWorks has introduced in the last 10 years. They, um, they really talk about it in high regard, and, and um, you know, it came up as an idea 10 years ago and still going strong now, um, something that that has been adopted in multiple organizations. Um, it really is, you know, I mentioned before about giving autonomy to teams and people, um, but I also mentioned context, and this really helps with the context piece. So you want to lead with context. Um, you want to allow your engineers to be empowered and, and work within autonomy, um, you know, removing change change processes and, and whatever other processes that you might have, just removing them and empowering them. So the, I think the tech radar can really help with this. Um, you know, the idea of the tech radar is you have four different quadrants. So you have tools, techniques, platforms, languages, and framework. And um, within that, then you, you have different rings. So you have adopt, trial, assess, and hold. So the idea is, you know, maybe you want to try something out within your company. So at that, at that point, it becomes, you know, maybe trial it. You want to trial it out. Um, you want to say, let's, let's just say you want to introduce something like Spinnaker as a deployment tool within your organization. So rather than mandating that, uh, you really want to, again, take a scientific approach towards it, understand what it can give your teams, and um, really understand it at a small level, at a small use case level, right? So uh, you can really trial it out on one team, Yes, it might be a little bit expensive in terms of, you know, trying it out in one area as opposed to opening it up to the general public. But you want to make sure that it's going to work. You want to look at the data. You want to look at how teams respond to it and make sure that it is the right thing to do. So you trial it, you assess it, and then you decide whether, okay, yeah, we should move forward and try and adopt this throughout the organization or we should put it on hold. So really, like, you know, we've seen a lot of languages come up. You know, you've seen things like Rust, you've seen like Next.js, you've seen Kotlin, you know, we've seen so many things really crop up all the time. Um, you know, organizations I've worked in are primarily Java organizations. And even within that, you know, you things like Lombok, you know, you've, you've libraries like that, you might want to try out. And um, it can be early days for a number of things. 
I know in my experience, you know, we've we've tried out a few things in the trial phase and uh, it was maybe too early for that library. So we put it on hold, but we put it on hold with a caveat to maybe relook at it because, you know, we looked at it for very good reason. We looked at it for a good reason to make sure that we're going to be moving in the right direction um, that can really innovate, push the innovation. Um, you know, we really move forward with our tech stack. But um, every engineer has ideas. Every engineer, uh, you know, you can really motivate them and, and intrinsically motivate them and make them feel empowered by allowing them to go and explore these different technologies. What we don't want, I guess, within an organization is the kind of mishmash of tech sprawl throughout your whole architecture. So I think this is something Zalando had learned as well. Um, I listened to a podcast recently with, with Zalando and they talk about this approach where they had given complete autonomy, um, you know, in terms of exploring tech and, you know, containerization, obviously you can, you can really abstract the language away from the container and things like that. So your deployment looks the same as any other team um, and how it runs and how it works. But um, really, the the code behind it could be you know five different languages from five different teams, and and that's probably not what you want because again, it's a maintenance overhead. It's it's how do you spread that knowledge of the language amongst those five teams? If another team was to work within that, you know, maybe an inner source method or whatever, it'd be really really difficult. It'd be a huge cognitive load on that team to try and understand you know the intricacies of the language and really try and understand the language to really make effective change within that code base. So I think this is a really good way. Um, and Camille Fournier in Rent the Runway, you know, wrote a really good book, which is the, the manager's path. And um, Camille talks about, it's make it hard for me to say no. So and I think the tech radar is doing the same thing. So it's kind of like, you want to explore this, I'm not going to say no to you. You go and explore it, but I want you to come back to me with a really good proposal about why we should use it. Uh, what have you learned by trialing it out? And how are you going to spread that knowledge amongst other teams? So it no longer becomes intrinsic to one person, uh, you know, siloed information, learning a, a language and uh, implementing a language within one service. It's, it's more about spreading the knowledge throughout multiple teams and really knowledge sharing. Uh, you know, obviously within the team, if it's one individual that's trialing it out and then spreading that out, uh, you know, throughout the organization. And that's kind of where the adopt phase then will come in. So um, what you could really do with the tech radar is define in, in put in each ring what things that you should do. So obviously if you're in the adopt phase, there's multiple things you should do in terms of maybe you presented, maybe you, you released your case study of, of how you trialed it and assessed it and um, why you should move in that direction. And also, what else is out there? Are there other things that we should trial and assess before we get to that adoption stage? More than likely there is. But although maybe maybe you won't just, this is a really mature product, uh, you feel that you don't even need to trial out the other ones, and we should just go straight to adoption, and that's okay too. But it, it really is, you know, this is leading with context. This is setting out the context and say, Yep, you can explore any technology, tool, process, platform, language, anything you want. Uh, just make it hard for me to say no to you. Make it really hard. Uh, we'll define, you know, what it needs to happen in each of those rings and quadrants. And um, you come to us with your proposals, right? Um, I think the Tech Radar is a really good visual tool as well. It gives you an understanding of maybe your tech stack today within the organization when you map it out. Uh, you understand your primary tech stack and you kind of understand emerging technologies and tools and you won't always get it right. That's okay. Um, at least you've learned something from not getting it right too. Uh, you've documented it and you've said, well, here's the reason that we didn't explore that technology two years ago, uh, but maybe it's time to explore it now again because it's gaining more market traction and you know, uh, maybe it's been open sourced and a lot more companies are getting behind it as, as more kind of you know, community appeal to it. So yeah, check out the Tech Radar. Um, TalkWorks provides a GitHub where you can really build your own radar as well. Um, you know, you can get up and running within an hour. Um, and again, going back to the capability server as well and, and other things, 
It's really the data that you're getting from individuals that will really drive this forward. This will really help you understand where your tech is today, what your understanding of the tech is amongst all the teams, and um, you know what's up and coming. What what is coming that that you really want to look out for? Um, I, I can give you a clear example of of how we use this. Um, so I was working with a team, and we were working with AWS Lambdas, were a Java house, and um, you know, we, we explored Java Lambdas. So we started doing Java Lambdas. And the next time we had another project where we were working on Java Lambdas again. And um, one of the difficulties with Java Lambdas is testing and testing locally. Uh, it can be re a real pain. So um, we looked at, you know, dependency injection with Spring Boot offers. And, um, you know, we're, we're a company that uses Spring Boot really a lot. So, we looked at Spring Cloud Functions, which really gave us everything that we wanted in terms of you know local testing, dependency injection, um, you know, and really enabled the developers and, and allowed them to move forward. So we built our Java Lambdas with Spring Cloud Functions. It was very early days. Um, it was really like in in beta, and they had just had the first public release. Uh, we took on that library. We we trialed it. Um, we put it into production. We assessed it. And then we put it on hold. We said, you know, it, it wasn't performing to our needs. Um, there was a couple of sporadic errors that were that were not specific to, to our code, but to the, the underlying, you know, framework code. And um, yeah, we we contributed to that open source um, that open source project, and we left it on hold. Now, obviously, by contributing, I would hope that we have helped move that forward. Um, but really, it would be on hold to trial it out again and then assess it again to, to see if things have matured, to see if the product has matured. And, you know, I'm sure it has. But uh, that's a clear example of, of how this can move forward. Because otherwise, you know, what can happen is we could trial it, we could assess it, and we could adopt it within our own team. And then another team comes along and, and they're getting into the AWS space, for example, perhaps. And once they're doing that, they mightn't look at it at uh, what we had done in Spring Cloud Functions, and, and they might actually make similar mistakes. And a tech re radar can really help them understand where it is within the organization as well. Say, oh, actually, this other team was looking at this, and it helps with that knowledge sharing piece as well. Particularly if something is not in the adoption phase. Um, for me, I think the adoption phase would need you know multiple teams to have trialed it and assessed it, not just one team, uh, but that obviously completely dependent on the size of your organization and everything else. But this is a really good way to allow people to propose, trial, assess, and then either adopt or put it on hold until a further time and, and really document it and make it visual. The tech radar is really nice. Um, you know, it uses like a D3 library. So it's it's, it's a nice graphical interface to, to see where things are at. And, uh, you know, you can hook it up to your your documentation system, so something like Confluence or whatever. And um, yeah, I think, again, it'll help you understand your, your tech landscape. It'll help you identify areas and technologies that maybe you want to change or maybe you thought wasn't that prevalent, but is everywhere. You know, uh, maybe everybody understands this language or, yeah. And the Tech Radar can help you with that. And again, uh, a lot of resources online, just look up Tech Radar, ThoughtWorks, and you're going to find it. Uh, it's all open source, and yeah, this will really help you understanding your landscape as well. Up to now, I've been talking about organizational landscape, but obviously, teams are a huge part of our landscape. And you know, you really want to cultivate an environment for for high performance teams to allow them to grow and become high performing teams. So, um, with that, the, the next few things we're going to look at are they're more team based. And something that you can run with every every team and really kind of understand where the team is at and understand you know what drives them squad health check is a, a really good activity to consider doing within your organization it's more team-based rather than you know for managers um it's it's kind of allow teams to become more self-aware so they can focus on their improvement efforts um it's something that was introduced at spotify uh, you know, Hendrik uh, Nyberg has a really good post on this in the Spotify R&D engineering blog back, you know, in 2014. And um, 
it was introduced in our company by David Mahan, a really good agile coach. And um, I think it was really good to, to try and understand where teams felt themselves. You know, it was, it was based kind of on, on feeling and opinion, um, but where they felt things could be improved. And sometimes you can see across the board that, hey, maybe, maybe it's not easy to release, um, particularly if teams are working on, on monoliths. Um, maybe there's not enough learning and um, maybe we're, there's a nice one called pawns of players. Maybe we're, we're more like pawns. We're always told what to do rather than having a voice and really creating that generative culture. So it really helps visualize what we call the health of, of the team or of the squad. And, um, you know, it covers a, a good range of topics. You can obviously, what Spotify gives you, um, you know, you can download a pack on, on Spotify that will really get you up and running and get running with this meeting. Um, and you run it with each squad, you know, we run it every quarter and you can obviously adapt it towards what you want to find out um, or other areas that you want to find out or look into in terms of how the team is feeling on that, you know? Um, and again, it's for the team themselves, obviously, you know, as people managers and things like that, there's, there are patterns that maybe you could spot. So, what the meeting looks like, you know, everybody gets into a room, um, everybody from the tech lead, the team lead, uh, whatever you ha- whatever makeup you have in your organization, and um, every engineer then as well. Um, anybody that's on your team really should be involved in this. And it's kind of like a traffic-like voting system. So, you know, green, orange, and red, and you count up the number of oranges and reds and then come out with a result. So it's really good because, you know, I, I think it gives self-awareness not only to the team but to individuals on the team if if individuals have a have a responsibility of leading that team for example they might be somewhat biased they might have what's called desirability bias somewhere they feel that everything's going right in a specific area but this was a, a really a way of you know making the process more democratic allowing people to vote on things that they feel are going wrong um you know a tech lead or a team lead, for example, could vote green in one area and really make a strong case, but it's all kind of anonymized votes until the end and everybody shows their cards a bit like a game of poker. So um, it's really good in that sense because people really get to, to vote and they're not anchored by, you know, senior members who don't have hippos, you know, highest uh, paid person's opinion. So um, it was really good and it's really democratic. And it's a really good way of, you know, not only giving self-awareness to the team, but allowing the team to identify areas themselves and then potentially spot patterns throughout the organization. So some of the indicators that to talk about in the meeting is, you know, teamwork, um, you know, how well do you work together? Do they feel like they're a team or do they feel like they're a bunch of individuals? Another indicator is trust and safety, you know, and this goes into psychological safety aspect. How safe do you feel the environment is to make failures and to, to speak up? And, um, you know, do you avoid conflicts or do you take them head on? And, you know, these are all aspects of high performing teams as well. So all these indicators are really digging down into that. Um, another indicator, you know, delivering value. Um, do you deliver what stakeholders want? Do you deliver what customers want? And for me, there's a huge difference. Um, we'll talk about that in the future in terms of product and processes. Um, you know, is it easy to release? This was one that I found really useful because it kind of tells you where the teams are working. You know, are they working in pipelines, CICD type processes, or are they working maybe with more monolith applications and delivery processes? And then, you know, other indicators like fun, how fun is the team? And I think it's important that the team has fun as well. Uh, again, another sign of high performance is the team, you know, gels really well together. To, they're kind of friendly with one another. And, you know, we want we want the work day to be enjoyable. Um, you want everybody to come in and really enjoy their work day. Um, health of the code base, it's another one. And again, another aspect of kind of identifying what areas the team works. Um, I'm really digging down into maybe why the health of a code base could be, you know, green or red. And um, what can you do to improve it there? Maybe you don't get enough time to do tech death and, and things like that. So um, other indicators are learning. You know, do you get much time to learn about stuff or 
do you not get any time at all? Um, mission. So do you know what the team mission is? Do you know who you serve? Do you know who your customers are? Or do you feel like there's no high level focus? It's maybe project after project or, you know, feature after feature. Um, and you're just more like a feature team delivering on a backlog or, or on a roadmap, you know. Um, pawns or players. I really like this, you know, um, Marty Kagan talks about empowered product teams and he talks about having uh, missionaries and not mercenaries. And I think this this indicator kind of goes into it as well. Um, but it can also at another level, not just product, but, you know, are the team feel like maybe they're micromanaged or uh, do they have the autonomy, uh, you know, to, to really play out their own game as well and, um, you know, collaborate with others and, and bring the team along in that aspect. Or is it always, no, I'm working on this and I have to work on this for the next two weeks because that's what we decided on during planning phase. Um, speed, another indicator. So, you know, how quickly do we get stuff done? And this can really go into some of the DevOps metrics you might look at, uh, particularly in terms of throughput, how quickly do you get through things, basically? Um, how volatile is that number? So a lot, of, a lot of these health indicators can really be correlated back to, DevOps metrics as well, you know, um, I think it's important to gather as much data as you can. Other indicators is suitable process. So do, do we have what we need? Uh, do What is our way of working, you know? And I think each team is different in the way that they work. Um, and it's not a carte blanche for me. It's I think every team should have the autonomy to decide how they want to work with one another. And that includes everything, you know, from like work hours to work etiquettes to, you know, um, really own, owning your own code standards and things like that as well. Um, there might be guidance at an organizational level, but I think at a specific team level, like, you know, do you add 20, 30 comments onto a PR or do you just go and talk to the person? Um, you know, things like that. How, how do you want to collaborate on even the small items like that in terms of pull requests? Do you want to close off the branch every time you, you merge in and pull a request? Uh, if not, why not? You know, and, and those are the things that teams would have differentiators in. And it really has, you know, no little to no impact on your delivery of value as a team. But it's just more of a team preference. Um, support is another indicator. So, you know, um, do they get support? Do they have the right support in the right areas? I think a lot of the, the team health, you know, we run them quarterly. And a lot of it could be about relevancy. So it is something to watch out for and be mindful of you know, um, in terms of relevancy and recency. So what was the most recent thing that happened to that team? And was that a negative or a positive effect? And, and based on, on that outcome, basically, um, the team health check could be a little bit skewed, but I think it's important maybe to dig down further into some of those areas and for teams to come away, as I say, with, with self-awareness. It's almost like this, it's almost like a retro with, with very specific points to come away from and and very specific specific improvements you know um that's that's pretty much it you know like green doesn't mean it's perfect either um you know yellow just means there's there's a maybe one or two problems here or it could be that relevancy recency thing um and i think red is really something that you you really look at you know this is this is something that you kind of want as well you don't want a team that's all green because that's for me that's not healthy um, that probably means the team is not comfortable enough, maybe, or doesn't is not psychologically safe enough to to be able to give a bad feedback, you know, and, and give, um, yeah, just give bad feedback. So that's pretty much it. Um, it's definitely worth looking into. Uh, definitely worth running with your teams on a, a regular basis. And um, Spotify, you know, has really good documentation on this. You can download a pack and. You can get like playing cards and you can hand them out. Um, running the re remote is a little bit more challenging. It is nice to have everybody in one room. Um, but like anything, you know, just because it's challenging doesn't mean it's not impossible. And it's just a different way of working. And um, yeah, I think I think it's definitely worth doing within your organization. It'll really help build high-performing teams and really help cultivate the environment for that. And again, it's not for comparison. It's important that teams don't 
maybe use it as a competition to say, oh, look, at we're, we're the healthiest, happiest team. It's not like that. It's it's more of a self-awareness. Um, and it is more as well for managers as well to spot maybe discrepancies within it um, and, and try and find patterns. You know, four or five teams are saying it's not easy to release. Then, okay, maybe there's something we should look at here and we should dig into this a little further, investigate more, and you know, talk to the teams basically around this specific piece. If you have a handful of reports, I really hope, you know, you're doing one-to-ones on a regular basis. It, it really is the most important thing as a as an engineering leader um, to, to really meet with your direct reports on a, a regular basis. It's kind of like that servant leadership, you know, a true leader who serves is what the Scrum Guide calls it. And, and for me, you know, one-to-ones, are that you know that they embody that they build up a trusting relationship and you want to build up a relationship with your reports um but if we're talking specifically about teams you know if you have a number of direct reports i'm sure you have a lot more indirect reports so with indirect reports it become more difficult to gather feedback um again david heinemeiner hansen talks about the idea of an open door policy. And I think we've all heard it, you know, oh, my door is always open or come to me with feedback. I think the problem is nobody actually ever comes with feedback. Um, You know, I know we all say it, we say it with the best intentions, but there really is, as an engineering leader, there is a a presence and there is, you know, there are certain things within certain cultures and so on and so forth that people just don't come with feedback. So if you want feedback, I really believe you gotta go get it. And one of the ways that you can go get it is skip levels. I would recommend doing this maybe once a quarter. And you know, they can be done in a group setting. You can take them out for lunch, take the person out for a coffee. Um, you know, obviously we're in a remote working world now at the moment. And um, I'm sure like the rest of you, I'm zoomed out, you know, so many virtual meetings all day that you're just so tired from it. It is very, very tiring. It's probably more tiring than a normal meeting for me anyway that I find. And sometimes it can be back to back, you can run late, context switch, and it is just, it melts your mind. But skip levels, for me, I, I didn't want skip levels to to kind of take over my calendar, you know, having almost 20 indirect reports. Um, that's a lot of meetings on top of your normal everyday meetings on top of your work. <laughs> work that you need to get through so um i was really glad when i found an app called volley um it's really really good it's basically asynchronous video communication um you know it's just like any other conversation you take turns uh you record your turn with a video and um it basically sends that video to the other person so think of think of like slack except for video you can create channels, you can create one-to-one situations, so on and so forth. And I think it really works well in one-to-one situations where you might have a direct question and you're looking for an answer. Um, obviously, I don't think it'll ever replace normal conversation, but definitely I think it allowed me to run skip levels within a couple of weeks versus, you know, if I was to do that in Zoom, I think it would take me maybe a month or so, you know, realistically, because... It, it, these things are really, really important, but as we all know, you know, there's urgent work that comes up, there's meetings you have to jump into, and these things tend to get kicked down the road. But for me, the, the feedback, the relationships that you build, the collaboration, um, everything that you get from these meetings is so, so important to realize, you know, how do you want to move going forward, really understanding your landscape, really, um, how the other people feel about it, you know, right from junior members to senior members, people that you wouldn't talk to on a daily basis and building up that relationship with them, you know, and and it's really important to ask good questions as well, you know, obviously build a relationship with them, um, you know, talk to them with empathy, ask them how they feel. Uh, one of the ways you can do it is tell them how you feel, you know, oh, I'm, I'm overwhelmed and, um, you know, with all the meetings or, um this particular product or tech has brought me joy, you know, to talk about emotions and feelings, things like that, and that can help, you know, help you bring empathy to the meeting and help you understand how the other person might be feeling. And um, once you get that, you can really get some really good feedback from them and actionable feedback as well for you as a leader. 
um, again, a true leader who serves and really understands the people that that are working with you, you know, uh, you're all on this journey together and you really need to, to be together, you know, and collaborate. And, and this was one of the ways to do it. Um, build up obviously a personal relationship as well, you know, ask them, you know, how, how are they settling in or ask them how's remote life working out for them, you know, talk to them about their interests outside of work and really get to know them as people. Um, you know, I think everybody is is fascinating and everybody has different interests. And when they come to work, you can you can really see one side, but there's there's often uh, really interesting topics of conversation that can go on just outside of work. And um, bring a little bit of that to your meetings as well. Um, and as I say, ask good questions questions like you know what's stopping you from doing your best work right now uh, questions like um what is something that nobody talks about in work you know is there a fear around something and um it because i think there's conversations that happen you know you think back maybe when you were maybe an engineer and working on a team and you might talk to one of your teammates about something that you're not happy with, you know, or it's a crappy process, or that's just the way it is, or that's the way it is in here, things like that. And I think the more ingrained you become within a company, sometimes you don't see these things. You don't see it the way somebody else sees it. So um, I think probe those type of questions to the person and really extract that information. You you want, you, you know, positive feedback is all well and good, but it's not really actionable. You, you really want the bad feedback. You want to find out what things aren't going right. Uh, you want to really enable the person and enable the team. Talk to them about things that they feel is not going quite right and things that, that just could be better. And um, I think if you do that on a regular basis, I think, you know, not only will you have built up a really good relationship with the person that maybe they're more inclined to come with, to you with feedback in the future, perhaps, if you've done a, a really good job and building a relationship with the person, but it does take time, it takes time to build trust. Um, but looking back on it, it, it's one of the best things you can do. The feedback you get from some of those questions are really, really good. And you know, it, it's a really good way to know more about your direct reports as well. Um, obviously you can see things from the outset, you can look at metrics, you can talk to your direct reports, but talking to, their direct reports is really a good way as well of understanding of, you know, where the teams are, the team's self-awareness and the teams, you know, where the areas of performance or where the areas of improvements are. And again, you might start seeing patterns. Uh, you might see, you might see areas of collaboration. And I always look for areas of collaboration. I think it's one of the most important things you can do as a leader to not have duplicate work or don't make teams make the same mistake across the company. Um, help them work together. You build, you know, a shared consciousness. This is something that goes into the team of teams, a really good book as well. And you really build it up in terms of if every one person knows at least one person from another team, then the whole company knows each other. Um, and that's assuming the company is maybe less than 150 people. So it might not be your company, but it could be a division within your company. It could be a vertical. It could be, you know, whatever you, you might call your organizational structure. But anywhere where you have a cohort of people that are maybe working towards a specific thing within your company, then perhaps every one person could know another person from another team. And to build up relationships that way, it builds up more collaboration. And, you know, the collaboration is key. It really is to allow people to collaborate. Um, it's, I don't know, there's a certain emotional intelligence to it as well that, you build up these relationships, so you build up more of a, a culture within the company. And you can only do that through behavior. So you really need to encourage teams to talk with one another. You as a manager can find patterns and areas to collaborate and you can encourage that to happen. And uh, I think once that happens and you maybe you remove a stigma of, oh, this is this is my code or these, these are my services, so on and so forth, that you kind of open it up. You want to do the opposite. You're kind of like, yeah, allow this team to go in and, and make those changes or you know within reason and, and just build that collaboration build that you know the communication really as well across your whole office and i think you'd be amazed at the results
I think worldly maps for every team is is something to strive for. It's it's brilliant. A worldly map it's a representation of the landscape in which the team operates. You know, consists of a value chain, and then you know it's graphed against the evolution going from genesis custom product to product to a commodity. Um, you know, I think worldly maps nearly warrants its own podcast. To be honest, um, there's so much detail you can go into. Um, it's difficult to get started with maps. Um, first-hand experience, I found it difficult. Still find it difficult to really to map everything to the right amount of detail, make sure not to go too low, not too high. Um, you know, but it really helps with teams identifying how they deliver value to their customers, who their customers are, and most importantly, gives them situational awareness to where they are now. So that situational awareness is just so important to know, hey, where are we now? Where can we move forward? Where does it make sense strategically to move forward? So, for example, if if you're doing something like you're sending a customer SMS, just map out the components that the SMS functionality gives you. Okay, so you know you might have a, a custom service that maybe sends an SMS, um, and then you might be using a third-party service for actually sending the SMS. So, in that case, the third-party service will be in the commodity space of evolution. And you might have a product or a custom product in terms of what your service is doing. So if if your service is doing something that you know a customer understands what to expect from an SMS, then you're probably going to be in the product space. And is there a way that you can move that more towards the commodity space? So the more that you move it towards commodity, the more it opens up for more experimentation and, and more innovation, really. So it it really helped as well with conversations, uh, particularly on a team where you might be talking about exploring new technologies. You might be talking about some bringing something back in-house. It's, it's something that comes up on a regular basis, um, regardless of what it is. But for me, I honestly be, believe, and, and Wardly Maps has helped me with these conversations, is if there's something out there that the customer knows and expects something to work, then it should be a commodity. So SMS, a clear example, yeah, throw that into a commodity space because are you really going to, you know, build functionality that can send SMS off very specific SMS servers and services? Um, And think about the cost and the time and the effort to do that. Um, And for what? For something that the customer, you know, expects, they expect an SMS to their phone, they expect, you know, whatever information they're, they're looking for. There's very little innovation left in SMS space. Um, so for that, maybe take it take it off the shelf. Again, if you're building things in-house, you know, maybe you're adding some additional features onto it. Um, maybe question whether you should be spending time in that space because everything that you build is going to have a, a maintenance overhead. Uh, and it's over time, you know, you're going to introduce tech debt, things get outdated if it's not a priority and if things are commodities then maybe they're not priority then either so another example might be you know maybe a chatbot um i don't think anybody these days is going to build a web app that's going to be able to control the protocols and everything else to be able to make chatbots work they're just going to take an off-the-shelf product you know uh they're going to take maybe dialogue flow or you know introduce intercom hubspot all these other products that can just embed within your website and you can control you know and configure behind the scenes and um, there's really low maintenance it's more secure it's more robust it's more resilient Um, it's all the good things that you look for in software so if you can get it you know from library code if you can get it from a third party if you can get it from open source and it's it's really well backed on open source then for me i think that's the better option i kind of delving a little bit into build versus buy but i i think for off the shelf kind of stuff a worldly map can really help you identify what is a commodity um what is a commodity within our stack what is commodity within the value chain that we deliver to customers you know an email sender is another example are you going to be setting up you know smtp servers and and maintaining those servers and sending out emails i hope not i hope you're taking an off the shelf product to send emails um you know, there, there's so many products out there and it's it's gotten so cheap that it doesn't make sense to do it. And 
maybe it's the same with marketing emails promotional emails and the sending of these emails building campaigns things like that um if there's something off the shelf then why not take it and focus on on more innovative solutions and more you know experimentation within other areas because the more you move things to a commodity the more time it frees up for for teams to really focus on on other areas and again worldly maps really helps with that um i don't think i, I can do it justice over a podcast in terms of explaining exactly what a worldly map can do for you but definitely take a few minutes check out that presentation check out a worldly map look for it within a space that you understand you know there's a lot of examples of worldly maps out there um you know it's not just it, some of them go into brexit so it's not just tech um but you know tech is is definitely a focus and you can go as high and low level as you want so you know simon wardley looked at kind of the compute space and um bringing ubuntu into public cloud you know and cloud path platforms and um he kind of identified that space very early on and he did that through wardley maps um so the it, I think it can really help you focus on on where the area to move is. Um, so in in Simon's case, you know he's working with Kodak. He found that you know they were building in-house servers and uh, there was a maintenance overhead and and so on and so forth. That if they just move that more to a commodity, that it would free them up so much that they don't have these scheduled maintenances and they don't have to look after their underlying systems. Basically, if they can outsource all that. And that, that allow them to to work on more kind of stream aligned and value value driven items that are more innovative and um, really bring evolution to your products and and open up more innovation. So it's kind of like move things more to a commodity space. And um, again, I think I'm not doing it justice. So check out the the presentation. Um, it's a really good presentation. You can find it on. All good streaming providers and um, check out a few example of maps it is difficult to get started uh, there are a few templates out there that can help you and um, I think even for teams to have it to understand the space that they're working in of where they are now and for me it definitely helped in terms of conversations when I hear bring it back in-house um, I'm not I'm not saying I'm against bringing it back in-house I'm just saying if we're bringing something that's a commodity back in-house, then I would have a case to make. And uh, unless we're doing something really innovative that, that hasn't been seen before, I would question whether we should be doing that. As always, thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and there's also an option to send me voice messages. So send me a voice message if you have any feedback. And um, yeah, we can talk about it in the next episode. Thank you.